0: The last few decades in particular have witnessed unprecedented progress for animals through legislation that seeks to limit or end particular harms to animals by prohibiting the sale of products resulting from those harms. This includes bans on the sale of purposely bred dogs and cats, the sale of fur, and a prohibition on the sale of food products made from animals subjected to particular cruelties on factory farms, such as California's Prop 12, which was overwhelmingly supported by California voters in 2018. This week, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a lawsuit relating to Proposition 12 by the National Pork Producers Council, a lawsuit which alleges that Proposition 12 violates the Constitution's Commerce Clause. While the Supreme Court has yet to rule on the constitutionality of Proposition 12, the nature of the questions being asked by members of the court are signaling that that law, and therefore others like it, may be in jeopardy. In this episode of This Week in Animal Protection, we'll discuss why such a devastating ruling would not only jeopardize much of the progress made for animals across the United States, but progress for other causes such as environmentalism and worker rights as well.
1: welcome to This Week in Animal Protection. We're the Winograd's. I'm Nathan.
0: And I'm Jennifer. We're going to start this week with some good news for the victims of domestic violence and the animals that they love. A new public-private partnership is infusing the resources needed to make 25% of all domestic violence shelters pet-friendly by 2025. Of course, that's not nearly enough, as they should all be pet-friendly, but it will, however, be a marked improvement over where things stand today. Nathan, give us some background as to why this is an important development.
1: Well, a majority of domestic violence victims report that their companion animals are also being abused or threatened with abuse by the perpetrators if they leave. And 97% of victims, that's almost all of them, reported that keeping the animals with them is an important factor for them in deciding whether or not to leave the abuse and seek shelter. And of those, half said they would definitely not consider a shelter for themselves. If they could not take those animals with them, primarily because they did not want to either leave them with the perpetrator or take them to a shelter where they might be killed. And despite that, less than 10 percent of domestic violence shelters in the United States allow pets, which is keeping both the animals and women in harm's way. And so thankfully, this new effort will improve the situation. But as you noted, it is not nearly enough.
0: Our next story is an update to one that we reported earlier. When more than 30 dogs were killed by the McDuffie County, Georgia Animal Shelter, even though they had rescue commitments, in addition to killing those healthy dogs, witnesses accused the county pound staff of placing animals in body bags before they even stop breathing, choking animals with leashes and kicking or stomping them to get them under control, particularly if they struggle while being killed, slamming their heads on the concrete, removing collars from dogs, though those collars suggested that the animals had homes, killing animals before their holding period expired and then lying on the paperwork in the event that people come looking for their lost pets, and, quote, improper euthanasia procedures, including heart sticking without sedation on fully conscious animals. Nathan, so tell us what's the latest development in this story.
1: Well, when the allegations first came out and both the county and the state began investigating, the person who oversees the pound and one of two people these accusations were leveled against actually resigned his position and fled the state. County officials responded by closing the pound during their investigation. Recently, McDuffie County officials issued a statement noting that the staff who these accusations were leveled against are no longer associated with the animal shelter, in their words, in any shape, form or fashion. And they also indicated that they are planning to reopen the facility as early as December with, quote, more internal transparency, community engagement through events, and even reducing their euthanizations, end quote, by embracing no-kill programs. And so while that is good to hear, of course, it doesn't excuse the past crimes, and we'll believe it when we see it.
0: And of note, the No-Kill Advocacy Center has reached out to McDuffie County officials to give them information about the no-kill equation and to offer assistance in reaching that goal. So that is not unusual. The No-Kill Advocacy Center frequently reaches out to those shelters that are in the news, either because they've announced that they want to adopt a no-kill orientation or because they are embroiled in some sort of scandal related to their poor care and killing of animals the No-Kill Advocacy Center will reach out and provide those shelters and public officials with a roadmap as to how to do better. Those actions stand in stark contrast to what People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals does under these circumstances frequently, which is to come to the public defense of shelters that have been accused of mistreating animals or to publicly disparage an effort to turn a shelter no-kill. Continuing this unfortunate pattern, this week PETA published an op-ed in Colleen, Texas, noting that no-kill shelters are not the answer to animal homelessness. Nathan, tell us what their letter said and how you responded.
1: Well, first of all, this shelter in this particular community has long been a source of Pain for animal lovers given that they do kill a large number of animals and in fact they don't even offer animals for adoption. If the animals aren't rescued by someone else, they're killed. And so, community advocates and animal lovers have long called the shelter to embrace the kinds of programs that make no kill possible, essentially, the programs and services of the no kill equation.
0: Yeah, and a model of animal sheltering that is actually working in communities throughout Texas.
1: Right. In response to the calls for Colleen, Texas's animal shelter to embrace a no kill orientation, PETA did publish this op ed in the local newspaper claiming that, in essence, the animal shelter faced two extreme choices. They can either continue to kill healthy and treatable animals, which is what PETA prefers, or if they stop killing healthy and treatable animals, then these animals are going to sit in kennels and cages, as PETA suggests, for months. Now the irony is, if those were the only two options, kenneling those animals for months would still be the more ethical approach. Spending a couple of months or more in a kennel that includes food, water, being walked and socialized before adoption instead of being injected with an overdose of poison out of convenience is a no-brainer.
0: Yeah, and you and I have often countered PETA's claim on this point that they would prefer animals to be killed rather than spend time in a shelter, which might actually equal the same amount like a family might go on vacation and put their animal in a kennel while they're away. Not only that, and we reported on a study a few weeks ago that noted that Dogs in shelters, as long as they are well socialized and get out and walk, actually become very acclimated to being in a shelter environment and become better behaved and therefore more adoptable over time.
1: Yes, that's exactly right, which is why when I responded in that same newspaper, I noted that there is a third choice that PETA doesn't mention, and that, of course, is the embrace of the no-kill equation, a series of programs and services that include foster care, marketing and promotion of shelter animals, community cat sterilization, pet retention, embracing volunteers, off-site adoptions, and other robust adoption campaigns, and noted that communities across the country that embrace the no-kill equation are placing 95 to 99% of animals entrusted to their care without turning animals away, or as PETA suggests, warehousing them. And as you know, the average length of stay before adoption in those shelters was only 14 days, about the amount of time a dog or cat would spend in a boarding facility during a family vacation. But the biggest irony here is that while there are shelters across the country that are placing as high as 99% of the animals, PETA, by contrast, kills roughly 90 to 99% of the animals it takes in despite over $60 million a year in revenues and millions of animal-loving members that could adopt those animals too. So why should anyone listen to PETA? on how to run a shelter when it is the functional equivalent of a slaughterhouse.
0: Okay, and for those of our listeners that might be new to this discussion, it might be very confusing to them as to why it is that PETA advocates the killing of animals. Nathan and I actually have written a book explaining exactly why it is that PETA promotes this philosophy. And that book is available on Amazon and called Why PETA Kills. But Nathan, in a nutshell, can you give us the reason why PETA has historically been such a fierce opponent of saving animals in shelters?
1: Basically, it comes down to Ingrid Newkirk, the founder of PETA's belief that people are unable to properly care for animals. And therefore, when animals live with people, it is a form of bondage for the animal. And they also believe that those animals cannot live without human care, which is why PETA typically rounds up to kill free-roaming community cats. And so essentially the animals are damned either way and therefore killing them is, in her words, a gift. Our book Why PETA Kills covers it in detail and we're going to have a more thorough discussion about PETA's perverse philosophy in an upcoming episode of this podcast on the October 18th anniversary of a little dog that PETA representatives actually trespassed on someone's property to steal in order to kill.
0: Our next story is an update to a story about the pound in St. Louis County, Missouri, which announced it was closing its doors to lost, abandoned, and stray dogs and leaving them to whatever fate might befall them on the street. They also announced that they would be killing more dogs, and they announced that they had stopped all dog adoptions, a death sentence, because of, quote, multiple cases of parvovirus caused by their own dirty facilities and sloppy care.
1: Yes, this is a shelter that is currently facing four lawsuits from people in the community, some of which had their animals illegally killed or they knew people were coming to reclaim and they killed them anyways. This is also a shelter that has been sued by volunteers who faced retaliation for exercising their First Amendment rights by petitioning their local government to address the inhumane treatment that they themselves have witnessed in the shelter. And part of those lawsuits was the requirement that the shelter turn over records that the shelter has that prove what plaintiffs are saying, that these animals are being illegally killed and that volunteers are illegally being retaliated against. And the shelter recently announced that they destroyed a lot of those records rather than turn them over to plaintiffs as required by law. Because the boxes in which the records were kept had become home to a large number of cockroaches and mice, which would give credence to the claim that the shelter is not being kept clean. And one of the attorneys for the plaintiffs has said that he's never had someone destroy 20,000 pounds of documents in the middle of litigation. And yet none of this should be surprising for St. Louis County pound officials who are as corrupt as they are cruel.
0: So let's contrast the treatment of animals in St. Louis County, Missouri and Colleen, Texas and McDuffie County, Georgia with the shelter in Cape May County, New Jersey. As we do every week, Nathan, we like to highlight those shelters ...that have embraced the no-kill equation model of sheltering and are not only taking good care of the animals and rehoming them, but providing the services that the taxpayers in that community are paying for.
1: Right. Cape May County, New Jersey, reported a 97% placement rate for dogs and 93% for cats. Of course, we'd like to see both the dog placement rate and especially that 93% cat placement rate increase... There are communities across the country placing 99% of dogs and 99% of cats, but this is Cape May County's first time placing above 95%, and we like to celebrate improvement even when shelters still have room for growth.
0: Some of the, the bad news that we report in this week in animal protection can be pretty discouraging. And so this week, Nathan, we wanted to highlight a statistic that recently came out regarding the number of people that are buying pet insurance for their animals, yet another sign of how much people love dogs, cats, and other companions. And how
1: fully they've become integrated into our families to the point that all members of the family, including our companions, are protected by health insurance. A new report has come out that the pet insurance market is growing at a rate of almost 17% a year. And it's expected to reach $32 billion annually by the end of the decade.
0: I think the encouraging thing about that statistic is when you buy insurance for your animal, it's a signal that you intend to provide them whatever veterinary care they need in the future. And also in anticipation potentially that especially maybe near the end of their life or if there were to be some sort of injury to the animal, that that care can often be quite expensive. And you are thinking ahead about making sure that you can provide whatever it is that your animal may need.
1: Absolutely, and that you are making a commitment to that animal through thick or thin and for the remainder of that animal's life, and Mm -hmm. so not surprisingly as the number of people who buy health insurance for their animals goes up, and the number of people who keep their animals for their entire life increases to the point that the senior animal is the Fastest growing segment of the pet population in the United States, but we're also seeing tremendous progress in the field of geriatric veterinary medicine with new treatments for our animals as they get older. And like all of us, it becomes a little bit harder to get up, get up in, up the, in morning.
0: the morning. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this 15-minute sample of This Week in Animal Protection. The entirety of this week's news and our main discussion are available only to subscribers. If you want to listen to this podcast and future episodes in their entirety, please subscribe at nathanwinograd.substack.com.